Church, let me invite you to open the pages of Scripture with me once again to Mark's Gospel, to Mark chapter 10 today as we continue our message series there. If you're visiting with us today, we've been in a sermon series from the Gospel of Mark, the second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark writes uh, about the life and the ministry and the mission of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world. And as we looked at Mark chapter 9 last week, we saw that God's ways are revolutionary, that He confronts the proud and that He promotes humility. And as Jesus continues teaching, interacting with His disciples and with the crowds, as He approaches Jerusalem and the cross, He continues to confront the status quo. He continues to buck up against the worldly norms of His day and certainly of our day as as well. So in the opening verses of Mark chapter 10, he, He acknowledges and teaches that despite common practices in His day and in our day uh, to the counter that marriage is anchored deeply in God's design from the beginning. One man, one woman, a husband and a wife committed to each other, guilty of adultery uh, in the event of unwarranted, unwarranted divorce. And then he continues in a similar vein and he exalts the lowly status of children in his day. Children often ignored and considered to be uh, the, the ones who interfere, ones who are dependent on others to care for them, to raise them, to provide for them. And he tells his disciples, unless you become like the little children, then you will never enter the kingdom of God. As he continues to teach, as this one, Jesus Christ, who is at the center of God's word and who is at the heart of God's story continues to to teach and to head to the cross, we continue to see that God's ways are unique, that His ways are countercultural, that His ways are God-centric rather than man-centric, the key point for the passage that follows. So as you find your place in Mark chapter 10, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. God's word reads this way. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's bow in prayer. And Father, we do thank you this morning for giving your word to us. Words of life. Father, we pray that you would guide us now to rightly understand the truths of your word. That we might be able to live by them. To walk in them. To love you more fully. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. Later this week, just a couple days, we will celebrate our nation's independence. We will celebrate our nation's birthday. We revel in our independence, making a statement through sparklers and bottle rockets, slabs of ribs and grilled hot dogs and uncharged time off. Right, We salute our flag and we remember those who paid the price, who risked their lives, who gave their lives, and certainly even those who still risk their lives to preserve our nation's freedom. We enjoy our freedoms, and rightly so. Freedom of speech and freedom of religion and freedom to pursue a vocation of choice. Freedom to protect ourselves and Freedom to educate our children in the way that we choose. Freedom to pursue a life better than the one that was previously had, often characterized by fame and riches and comfort. A a better life. And to that end, what we pursue, what we celebrate, in some ways is not all that different from what this man was pursuing when he came to Jesus. This man... A wealthy man, a rich man, and other accounts of this story tell us that he was a young man and he was a ruler. Hence the name, the rich young ruler. This rich young ruler has been successful. He has accumulated great wealth. He has a position, a status that gives him uh, great authority and responsibility. He's striving to obey God and yet, even so, he's dissatisfied. He's he's missing something. He's empty. And so he runs up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? His intentions are good. He wants to do the right thing. He wants to have eternal life. He acknowledges that eternal life is more significant than this life. But he's mistaken on how to get there. You see, there's nothing that he or you or me or anyone else can do externally to gain eternal life. For efforts to earn eternal life produce emptiness and doubt. Efforts to earn eternal life produce emptiness and doubt. This man has it all, so it seems. 
And yet he says there must be something more. I'm missing something. Jesus, you are a good rabbi. What is it? What must I do? What am I missing? And Jesus responds and says, don't call me good unless you recognize who I really am. Jesus, we know, is, is good. He says God is good. God alone is good. Jesus is good, for Jesus is God. Jesus was and is sinless. But this man is coming with misperceptions about who he is and about who Jesus is. And so Jesus is wanting to get at the root of those misperceptions, saying no mere man is good. See, if you've ever used a a tape measure very much that has the English and the metric system on it, then no doubt at some point you caught yourself looking at the wrong side and using the wrong measurement, using the wrong standard. Well, this man is using the wrong standard. He doesn't understand what it means to be good in the eyes of God because essentially he says to Jesus, yes, I I am good. I'm good. I've done all the right things. I'm Obeying the law, I have obeyed the law ever since I was a boy. What I have now, I have accomplished on my own. I've not cheated anyone. I've done the right thing. I've paid my dues. I'm not a deceiver. I'm not a fraud. And yet in the point, in the process of attempting to obey the law, attempting to obey God's law, he misses the purpose of the law. He misses the point of the law to expose Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. To reveal our own failures, to reveal our own shortcomings, to reveal that we have not lived up to God's perfect standard, that we have not been good enough. Unaware of his sin. He says, I've climbed to the top. I've accomplished my dreams and now I'm trying to enjoy my achievements. Now I'm trying to enjoy my efforts, my riches. But I'm empty. And no doubt some of you gathered here this morning can identify. For you've achieved great things. Some of you have climbed the ladder, the corporate ladder of success. And you've had everything you could ever want and you found it lacking. At the end of the day, you found it unfulfilling like this man. Remember these popular slogans of recent times? Just do it. You can do it. Have it your way. Be true to yourself. Discover who you are. Man-centric. You see, Jesus comes and he says that man-centered, man-centric pursuits are inadequate. They are insufficient. They are inconsistent with the ways of my kingdom. And so Jesus confronts this man. And I think he calls this man to dig a little deeper. To look below the surface. To dig beyond the epidermis. And to recognize his own failed attempts to earn God's favor. To recognize that his efforts have not measured up to God's standard. But this man misses it. He misses it. 
Friends, let's not miss it. Let's admit failed efforts on our part. Let's admit failed efforts on our part. Maybe many of us are not all that different externally from this man. Obedient on the outside. From the perspective of people. Doing all the right things. Obeying all the right rules. Going about things in the right way. But if you know the God of Scripture, then you know that sin runs deeper than that. Sin is a condition of our heart. We know our own failures. Let's admit our failures that we've failed perhaps as a father or a husband, a mother, a son or daughter, a neighbor or friend. And most importantly, no doubt, that we have failed to measure up to, to God's standard for us. We know that our efforts to earn righteousness, to earn His approval are inadequate, that they are insufficient. And Jesus, provi- Jesus provides the answer. Verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. You see, Jesus calls all to replace false saviors with the Savior. Jesus calls all. He invites everyone. He calls You and me, everyone. He invites us to replace false saviors with the Savior. Now, his words here sound rather harsh to us. They make us a bit uncomfortable. Because like this man, we too like our riches. We we like our stuff. But in order for us to understand what Jesus is saying here, what he is communicating, the significance of what he is saying, we need to avoid a couple faulty interpretations. For Jesus is not saying that riches are wrong. He's not saying it's a sin to be wealthy. If it was, most likely all of us would be in a category of sinners to that end. Nor is Jesus instituting a works-based righteousness. That would be inconsistent with what Jesus teaches elsewhere. That would be inconsistent with God's word, verse 21, is not about one more deed to add to this man's list of good deeds. No, verse 21 is about a sinful mentality, a condition of his heart. For God is not his treasure. His riches are. God is not his, his treasure. This, this man who says, yes, I have obeyed the law. I have been good. I've been obedient to your requirements, God. Is guilty of of breaking God's law. Jesus exposes that he has broken the very first law. His treasure is what he has. His treasure is not God. This is idolatry. Unwilling to find sufficiency and salvation and sustenance in, in God alone. You see, unlike the childlike trust that Jesus advocates in the passage just prior, this man is trusting in his own efforts. He's trusting in his own riches. He's not trusting God. And Jesus was right when he said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, Jesus 
Jesus, in essence, says money can become a trap. Encouraging an attitude of self-reliance and self-sufficiency, blinding us to our true need for God. Money and efforts, position and status, riches and wealth. This is not your Savior, Jesus says. This will not give you true life. So turn to the one who will give you true life. Turn to the Savior. Surrender to the Savior. Surrender to the Savior. Replace false saviors with the one who is the Savior. That's the one thing this man lacks. The one thing he lacks is the only thing that can save. Jesus saves Jesus alone is sufficient. Jesus alone satisfies. Nothing satisfies, nothing fulfills, nothing saves like submission to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. For we were made to know and to follow after Him. What then? What Savior then are we trusting in? Where is our trust? Where is our security? Where is our sense of identity? Where is our worth? Is it in us and something we have earned or can do or accomplish? Or is it in Him? See, riches will pass away. You know this. Fame is fleeting and ultimately unfulfilling. Families don't even last forever. America is great as a nation as it is, and we celebrate it. It's not our Savior. For one day, she too will crumble. Only Jesus saves. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus lasts for forever. Let's trust in Jesus. All to Jesus, right? All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him. In His presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. At Thy feet I humbly bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. You see, I think the hymn writer knew Jesus. And he knew the life and the satisfaction and the fulfillment that is only found in Jesus. And this is the message that Jesus portrays with his disciples in the dialogue that follows this encounter. In verse 27, when he says, It's impossible for the rich to enter my kingdom apart from God's gracious intervention. In essence, he says, It's impossible for anyone to enter God's kingdom apart from God's gracious intervention intervention but praise be to God he has intervened he has made a way he has fulfilled his plan to offer salvation to whosoever will believe through Jesus Christ our Lord God intervenes with his spirit convicting us and calling us to know and follow Christ to find life and satisfaction in him you see loving God completely produces real life and lasting satisfaction. Loving God completely 
fully. It produces real life and lasting satisfaction. What, what do you mean by loving God completely? I, I hope to mean what Jesus meant. Mark chapter 12, verse 28, when he's asked by a teacher, an expert in the law, what, what's the greatest commandment? We have all these laws, all these commandments, God's standard to obey. Summarize it for us. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds, he says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, listen, listen up. According to the Old Testament here, listen up, God's people. The, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In other words, Jesus asked to summarize the law of God and he boils it down to this, love God with all that you are and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. What does it mean to love God? It means to cherish Him, to long for Him, to want to honor and serve Him. You see, the rich young ruler was much more interested in God's reward than he was in God himself. Do you, do you love God? Or are you trying to manipulate God to give you what you really want? You see, until we are satisfied with just God, we will never be truly satisfied. Until we love and cherish God, our Savior, our Lord, our King, and we will continue to run after and to cherish and love and trust in false saviors. Let's trust in the one who is our Savior. And to love God fully means to love Jesus. For Jesus is God in the flesh. The Son of God incarnate. And God's plan to save us. And so this week, certainly, we will celebrate we have great reason to celebrate, to celebrate our freedoms in our nation. Let's celebrate well for freedoms are gifts from God and something to cherish. I can almost imagine though, Jesus reminding us, saying, be careful not to become so consumed with the rat race of the American dream that you fail to become consumed with me. Get consumed with me. Cherish me. Find everything you need in me. Find freedom in me. For Jesus offers true freedom. Church, Jesus offers true freedom. Freedom from our failed efforts to please the Lord. Freedom from our failed attempts to be good enough. Freedom from the power and control, the domination of sin and Freedom to know and enjoy God forever as those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus offers true freedom. You know, Mark's statement here in verse 21 preceding Jesus' words are rather striking. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Did you catch that? Jesus looked at this rich young ruler before he responded to him and he, and he loved him. 
Church, those are gospel words. Despite his misplaced treasure, Jesus loved this man. And perhaps our Savior was given this deep-seated compassion for this particular man because Jesus also knew what it was like to be the rich young ruler. Seated at the right hand of God on the throne of heaven, enjoying perfect unity and harmony and sufficiency and satisfaction from eternity past as part of the God who is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From a human perspective, the promised Messiah and Savior, the heir of the Davidic throne. And yet he humbled himself. He humbled himself by putting his position and power on hold for a while in order to come here to assume flesh, to take on a human body like you and me out of love for his Father and a desire to obey his Father, going to the cross for the sins of you and me. See, Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler. Can you see this ruler's love for you? See Christ's love for you. Friends, see Christ's love for you. See it in the pages of Scripture in story after story that's part of a greater story, a story of redemption through the blood of Christ. See Christ's love for you. Just as Jesus looked at this man and was filled with love for him, so Jesus looks at you and he loves you. Beautiful description of Salvation in Christ and the humble status of Christ on our behalf is recorded by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, where he writes these words, For you, for you believers, you Christians, you church, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know His unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor, His kindness, His mercy. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Friends, are you rich in Jesus today? Do you have freedom and riches and satisfaction in knowing and following him? Is he your Savior? Your greatest treasure. You see, one day, the servant king will return. And what a glorious day it will be for those who know and follow him, for those who have repented and trusted in him for life and salvation. One day, the servant king will return. But until that day, he continues calling, Come, follow me. He continues Extending the invitation to whosoever will come, follow me. So let's come follow him. Let's follow him. You see, the message that he gives his disciples here, the message that he gives to the rich young ruler here is really nothing new. Same call, same truth, different conversation. 
Remember the call that he extended to the crowds in chapter 8, verse 34. It says, Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever, whoever, anyone, whoever wants to be my disciple, to be my follower, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. The invitation is open. Repent and turn to Jesus. Same call, same truth, different conversation. Or remember the opening invitation of Jesus recorded by Mark in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. When he begins his ministry, he says, The time has come. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Same call, same truth. Different conversation and the news, this good news, this gospel news is still good news. Jesus offers true freedom. So come, find true freedom in him. Let's come. Let's follow Jesus. Father, may that be true in our lives. May we be a people who know and follow Jesus Christ the Son of God and Savior of the world, the promised Messiah, God in the flesh, the King of the nations. Father, may we be a people who are led by your Spirit, who surrender to the Savior, who rest in your grace. Forgive us, Lord, for our sin. Forgive us for our failed efforts. Remind us who we are in Jesus. Guide us in all things. Lord, lead us now as we respond to the truth of your word. May your name be praised in our hearts and our minds and in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.